Sam Ellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. Thanks for listening to episode 18 of the Mellinger Minutes for Years podcast. Particularly grateful for everyone listening now after we took last week off. Uh, family vacation that may or may not have been earned, but was definitely appreciated. Look, uh, I think you guys will really like the show this week. We've got questions about the effort of baseball players, the Royals' problems, Brady Singer's promise, and whether defense still has a place in modern baseball. Then, as always, we'll have some exclusive audio for you. This time it's Chiefs General Manager Brett Veach and Emory University epidemiologist Zach Benny on the NFL's hope and obstacles in playing a full 2020 season. Fair warning, all of the emotions with that one. Uh, But I want to start with a point about the Royals. And and this is subtle, but it's important. And I think if you keep this in mind, you'll be following the team on a higher level than your friends. Uh, Dayton Moore is among the longest tenured general managers in baseball. You probably know this intuitively, but only Brian Cashman and John Daniels have been on the job longer. What's more is so much of his staff has been around nearly as long as he has, like Rene Francisco, J.J. Bacallo, Gene Watson, Daniel Mack, Scott Sharp, Raphael Belliard, Tim Conroy, Lonnie Goldberg, Paul Gibson, Louis Medina, Donnie Williams, Jin Wong. We could go on and on and on. This might be baseball's most stable front office. But here's something fans who aren't listening to this podcast might miss. The Royals, as an entity, are operating vastly different than they did even a year ago. Uh, We can explain this and let's start at the top, right? Uh, John Sherman shares a lot of qualities with David Glass. And in a lot of ways, he holds an almost like unrealistically close resemblance to Ewing Kaufman. But this team is operating differently. Uh, Sherman's charge to the baseball operations department has been sustainable winning. Uh, That can sound like jargon, and there are times that that Dayton Moore himself has used that word in the past. But if we look at his 14 years in charge, we can see that's just not how he ran things. You know, the Royals were doing something like an unintentional tank job when he took over in 2006, right? They, They were in the midst of losing 100 or more games for the third time out of four seasons. That's a lot of losing. And it often felt helpless, um, but it also meant drafting Alex Gordon, Eric Hosmer, and Mike Moustakas in the top five. Uh, There was more to it. Um, You know, I think nailing that Zach Greinke trade, that might be the single most important personnel decision Dayton's front office has made. Uh, But there's no doubt that the losing helped create the winning. And when that winning came, the Royals unloaded prospects for Johnny Cueto and Ben Zobras that bolstered the championship push. Uh, you know, those aren't decisions made by a front office that prioritizes sustainability over going all in. But Sherman has said he wants to prioritize sustainability. So something's going to have to get here if the Royals get in that position again. Now, let's be fair. Five years later, uh, it's still unclear that the Royals gave up any stars in those deals. I think Sean Mania looks strong. Uh, Brandon Finnegan has a chance, but you know this isn't like the Expos giving up on Randy Johnson or anything. But you know those points aren't necessarily relevant to the points of the moment because if Sherman truly wants to prioritize sustainability, then what he's really saying is that Goldberg and the amateur scouting staff have to be a hell of a lot better without top picks than they were when they took you know Aaron Crow twelfth in two thousand nine, for instance. And Sherman is also saying something about himself. He's saying that he will step up to sort of, you know, underwrite the big league roster to fill holes with cash when the baseball operations department doesn't have high picks for the job. And here's another real world example. Like if sustainability is the goal, then the next time that the Royals have a class of free agents like Hosmer, Moustakis, and Lorenzo Cain in 2017, Sherman better be prepared to spend to keep at least two of them. That is a major difference. Another is that the Royals are suddenly, and this still sounds weird to say out loud, but they're now like 
analytically driven. You know, the team has always had a sharp and respected staff running the numbers. Like, don't get me wrong, but in, you know, the label of Dayton and his guys as sort of baseball's version of the Flintstones, like that was always exaggerated. But it's also true that Ned Yost, between not wanting to get in guys' domes and all that, he wasn't exactly waiting with bated breath to see what the analytics guys were suggesting, right? Like he bristled for a long time on shifts, for instance. Eventually he capitulated, but only slightly. He had a very traditional way of managing the bullpen. He constructed his lineup thinking first about what each spot in the order would do to a guy's psyche, and then thinking about what the data said sometime, you know, much later, like <laughs> after lunch. Um, look, like this is not meant as a criticism of Ned. Uh, Lord knows that I've criticized him before, uh, but I've always been upfront about it when I'm doing it. So this is not a criticism. Ned's approach clearly worked, right? Like they <laughs> they won a World Series with Alcides Escobar batting leadoff, for crying out loud. But what I'm trying to point here is not whether Matheny is better than Ned. We'll see that over time. What I'm pointing out here is that Matheny is approaching this job so differently than Ned. Uh, he's employed many often radical shifts, including the time he like technically had seven outfielders against Miguel Cabrera. Uh, he's using his best relievers in different situations, using them for the most important moments, whether that's the seventh inning or the ninth. He's batting Jorge Soler second, which, you know, to be fair, Ned started doing actually a little bit later last season, but even then it was fundamentally against his baseball worldview. You know, these are perhaps subtle differences, um, and even as John Sherman is so far about what he said he'd be about, the moment fans will care the most about will come when he decides how much to spend. But I do think these are important differences, you know, uh, and I think they're drastic differences in a lot of ways. Like I, I've covered this team for something like 15 years, and this is as large a year-to-year difference as I can remember in the broad strokes of how the team is run. That is obvious to a lot of us right now. It'll become more and more obvious as time goes on, but it's just something I want you guys to keep in mind. Uh, and I think it'll give you, you know, just sort of a deeper understanding of, of how this team is run and where it's going. So, okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then come back to answer some questions. Um, here is your weekly reminder. If you'd like to participate in next week's show, and I would love your participation, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. We're starting to get some momentum with the questions coming in, which tells me you like what you're hearing, and that's really encouraging for me. So thank you. The number one more time, 816-234-4365. Put it in your phone, call anytime, 816-234-4365. Cool. Okay. Uh, Quick break, and we'll get to this week's questions. Sam, this is Mike from Adrian. Do you think the players are giving 100% this season? Is it possible they are going through the motions, making the best of a bad situation without getting as emotionally invested? Thanks. So, obviously, I understand why you're wondering about that, right? Like we all do. The Royals stink. Uh, They can't hit, can't field. Pitching has been somewhat inconsistent, um, but I'm really glad to have this question. It lets me make a point that's been made before, but I think it's still important to keep in mind. Like these are humans, right? Like they are highly trained. They have elite talent that's been honed over many years and thousands of reps, but they're still humans. And this is a really weird time that we're in, right? Like I know that sounds obvious. It, it is obvious, but 
you know, at some point when Major League Baseball games are being played in front of like cardboard cutouts and a moment when a man in a lion suit puts a fake shirt on one of the cutouts goes like sort of mildly and locally viral. Like, I wonder if we are all keeping track of just how fundamentally weird this all is. Like, you know, think about your job, right? Or yourself. Like, are there times you're at work distracted now? You know, like wondering whether you or someone in your family is catching the virus? Are you ever distracted by how different your work life is now? Whether because you're working at home or working with a mask or something else, do you just think about going out to a restaurant or you know having people over the same way that you used to do? Going to a party, going to a movie theater, whatever. Do you think that some people you work with are having those thoughts and emotions? Like, I sure as hell do. And I would present that baseball players are the same. Like. I don't think it's entirely accurate to say they're giving less effort, you know, at least not on the whole. But I do think they're more distracted now than ever. You know, of course they are. We all are. Like, now, does that explain Mondesi's, like, base running Biff in Detroit? I don't think so. To me, that's more about confidence and sort of, you know, not feeling sorry for yourself. Does it explain Franco's throwing error the other night? all of his throwing errors? I don't think so. Like, to me, that's more about a guy who throws sidearm from a position that's usually best to throw overhand, letting a ball get away from him. You know, small point here, but my, I think the Royals believed that that was something that they could work with Franco on in spring training. But once that all got truncated and Franco probably figures he's here for 60 games instead of 162 or more, like those types of changes are made more difficult. But I do believe the broader context can explain some subtle differences, you know, and most of this stuff, like I don't even think we can ever know when it happens. Like, you know, a pitcher whose command is a bit off, maybe he's wondering about his wife's pending test result. A hitter who looks at strike three down the middle, maybe he's thinking about a sick friend or relative. A center fielder who airmails a throw, maybe he's frustrated we're still st stuck in this mess and just wants to go to a bar or whatever. Like We really know this, we rarely, I should say, know the specifics, but we do know that these athletes live in the same world we do. Um, and that's more real now than it ever has been. I mean, it has to affect them, you know, of course it does. But also, and, and this point needs to be made, um, that's not an excuse for playing this poorly. Right. Um, okay. A related but different question here from Bo. Hey, Sam. This is Bo out of Washington, D.C. Um, just wondering, my question is, what's with all the errors for this squad? You know, we've got decent picking errors left and right. We've got Stronko on third, who just keeps throwing balls into the dirt with his first base throws. I think they said last night that he leads the league or leads the team or something in balls thrown in the dirt when he's trying to throw a guy out at first. Um, got pitchers that are throwing all these wild pitches all over the place. It's giving up runs as well. So who is this on? Is this on the coaching staff? Are the players just not into it right now? They're lazy. They just not want to play this season because of obvious reasons of COVID, whatever it may be. Having said that, positive note, Brady Singer has been so awesome to watch. Cannot see what that guy has in store for us in the future. Yeah, so look, I know we spent a chunk of the first segment talking about Matheny and his moves, right? But in general, I do believe that we as fans and media put too much blame and give too much credit to Major League Baseball managers. They all value fundamentals, right? Like they all preach concentration. But at that level, it's up to the players. Like this isn't a sport where a coach can call a play or use a lineup that exploits some inherent personnel advantage. Like coaches can help, but the players either do it or they don't they should get the credit or the blame. Uh, I'm not trying to single one guy out here. I mean, it's still a small sample, but you know, Alex Gordon hasn't committed an error, right? Like, is that a credit to the coaching staff or a sign of his professionalism and concentration and talent? Again, one more time, like coaches can help and the approach that Matheny and Pedro Grafal will take 
uh, with modesty matters, particularly if I'm as right as I think I am about this being a confidence issue as much as anything else. But this isn't high school baseball. These guys are adults. Like They need coaches to see things they can't see for themselves. Same as we all need people we trust giving us advice. But you know these guys know how to field the ball and throw it accurately. And you know nothing a coach can do about that. It's up to the players. They'll, they'll do it or they won't. And we should praise them when they do and criticize when they don't. That's how this works. Like your Brady Singer point is really well taken too. Like the Royals are in a really weird spot right now. There are a lot of holes and we can see them all over the field. But Singer and Chris Bubich really stick out. Those guys look like absolute studs, warriors. Like they, they are a lot of people. And think about this. Like there are a lot of people in baseball who think that Jackson Kowar or Daniel Lynch are as good or better than Singer and Bubich. And I'm not sure anyone in baseball doesn't believe that Asa Lacey isn't better than all four of them. So look, it's, it's up to the front office to surround those guys with enough pieces for it to matter. And it's up to guys like Khalil Lee and Bobby Witt Jr. and MJ Melendez and all those other guys to grind enough to be part of the fun. So, okay, last question. And this one is hard not to wonder as you watch the Royals this year. Sam, this is Steve, displaced KC fan, living in Raleigh. With all of the runs, home runs, high offense we're seeing, is strong defense still a high value? Does anyone look at a stat like R, and I may have just made that up, a good defensive player may save you X amount of runs or X amount of bases, but how many does that good defensive player cost you with lack of power and batting, say, 230. Thank you. Looking forward to the podcast. It's a smart question, and um, hopefully I can give you a smart answer. Uh, first, for sure, there are defensive metrics beyond fielding percentage and errors. Defensive runs saved is my favorite, especially for a quick reference. Uh, there are others like zone rating. If you go to Fangraphs, Fangraphs.com, um, it's got more statistics than you will ever know what to do with. But uh, the real point of your question is that with an increasing number of at-bats ending with either a home run or a strikeout, and right, like these are plays where it doesn't matter whether your defense is stacked with, you know, Bo Jacksons or Samuel L. Jacksons. Uh, are teams really valuing a player's defense the same way they used to? The quick answer, no. And they shouldn't, right? Um, if an outfielder is just going to watch balls either, you know, go over the wall or be thrown around the horn after a strikeout, then, you know, Kyle Schwarber can do that just as well as Lorenzo Cain, right? But uh, that's an oversimplification, but I think you get the point. Now, if we're looking at this through a local lens, I do think there's some opportunity here with the Royals. They have a big outfield anyway, so it's harder to hit home runs, and athleticism plays better in their outfield than it does at, say, you know, like whatever the hell we call the White Sox Stadium now. So if the rest of the league is valuing that defense and athleticism less, it's a chance for the Royals to load up, right? Like you zig when others zag. But I also wonder how long this will last, you know? Like these things go in cycles. Every other sport, like baseball teams often copy what works. Again, local example, but we saw what the rest of the league did after the Royals won the 2015 World Series with a lockdown bullpen. Um, the point is you don't have to chase. Like there are a bunch of ways to win a baseball game and it's up to every team to figure out what works best for them. The Royals have traditionally, and this doesn't just go back to Kane, but like, you know, Willie Wilson and Amos Otis, Jermaine Dye, Carlos Peltron, Johnny Damon, like they've usually tried to do this with speed and defense. Like they have the American League's reigning home run champion, which has literally never happened in the history of the world. But if you look at like Mondesi, Witt Jr., 
Khalili, Nick Heath, MJ Melendez. I think it's it's pretty clear the team isn't losing touch with an edge that, you know, it might have to gain on defense. So anyway, I hope the answer was as smart as the question. Maybe, hopefully, please. Um, okay, guys, uh, thanks one more time for the questions. This is an important part of the show, maybe my favorite. So please keep them coming. One more time, 816-234-4365. Call anytime. Uh, one more quick break, and then we're back with bits of a conversation with two experts that you will not hear anywhere else. Okay, so uh, chances are pretty decent that you're like me and love baseball. Uh, but just being honest here and following statistics, uh, chances are even better that you're like me and love football. Like if this baseball season ends up being canceled, you know, a lot of us are going to be some combination of sad or heartbroken. But if the NFL season ends up being canceled, particularly here in Kansas City, a lot of us are going to be furious and not exactly sure what to do with ourselves. So it's with that in mind that I was so interested to talk with Chiefs General Manager Brett Veach this week, as well as Emory University epidemiologist Zach Benny. They each obviously have very different views on the NFL's approach here. Um, you know, Brett sees this from the inside and, you know, understandably desperate for it to all work. And Zach sees it from the outside, you know, more with a scientist view. So I, th I think the combination provides a pretty good picture. And I want to note here, too, that some of these conversations are used in a column that should be posted up right now on KansasCity.com. Um, you can also find it on my Twitter page at, uh, at Mellinger. The, that column is going to have some extra context, some statistics, but I do think there's value in you guys being able to hear from some of these sources directly. I hope you agree. Um, okay, so we're going to start off with Brett and his answer when I asked about the NFL, and they really are using a system pretty similar to what Major League Baseball is utilizing. I just wanted to ask him about the chances of avoiding the problems we've seen in baseball the last week or so. Well, we have a long way to go. Um, I think baseball is a good example of uh not getting too comfortable and, and just a constant reminder of how that, you know, this, uh, they always say that, you know, these games are won, you know, not just on the field, but, but away from the field. And this is, there's no more example of winning the battles on and off the field than this year and, and just being responsible and doing the right things. And, and certainly, again, uh, Bates was a great example of, you know, not getting too comfortable and uh, young kids having to mature very quickly. Uh, I think the older guys, the guys with family and the guys with kids and uh, more experienced, they understand. But, you know, these young kids, single, no kid, um, excited to be in a new city, excited to play at a professional level. It's, it's you know, we're going to ask and require them to, to develop and mature a lot quickly um, than, than typically in the past or a lot quicker, I should say. So, um, you know, Again, all we can, can do is execute the game plan that, that we've been given. Uh, you know, I think one advantage that we'll have and where baseball, you know, you get these these young kids and they're in opposing team cities for three or four nights in a row. You know, I don't know us that, you know, the good thing is, I mean, we get, you guys know, when we travel, we don't get to a city until 4 or 5 o'clock. And then, I mean, it's literally meetings at 7, bed check at 11, um, play, fly right home. You know, it's a little bit different baseball where teams are, are going to an opposing city for three, four nights. And, and it's different, too. The game's different. So it's a baseball game. And, I mean, and you don't first pitch until 7.15 and you're there for three or four nights. I mean, it's hard to stay cooped up probably in a hotel, especially for the younger kids, whereas 
more football. There's no time. I mean, we're there. We're in meetings. We're playing. Um, not to say that that's that that's going to be the answer that that makes us navigate the entire season, but I think it helps and, and just following the protocols and the fact that we're tested every day and, and we're moving people right away. So, um, I you know it's I think the work that the league and our training staff has put in and and just seeing the early results so far. Uh, that gives you confidence, but I, I think we just have to mentally train ourselves for the marathon. And, you know, you have the one week where things are going good for three, four weeks in a row, and then all of a sudden guys start grabbing a little dinner and, you know, hanging out. And, you know, that's that's when these things typically creep up and bite you in the ass. So that's we just have to make sure that we're staying disciplined and, and, and hopefully these young kids mature very quickly. And what's the thing? So, look, I like Brett. Just being honest here, there's a lot more hope in that answer than hard evidence, right? Some of that is because Brett is the GM, he's not a doctor, but it's also indicative of the league strategy as a whole. I mean, this is what you hear from people throughout the league. I don't mean this critically, just truthfully, there are no awesome answers here, right? That's why I also wanted to talk with Benny. Uh, He's a sports fan in real life, but here he's talking as a scientist. The NFL is essentially trying to run Major League Baseball's playbook. Yeah. And so if MLB is the model, then that model does not bode particularly well um, for the NFL. I mean, to try to make the NFL's case for it, they can basically say two things. One is we're getting our tests back a little bit faster. That might help you cut out outbreaks. Uh, I think they're getting them back usually within about 24 hours, if I understand correctly, and and Major League Baseball is closer to 48 so that may help somewhat. But then the other thing that they're basically relying on is um, but our guys are going to be better behaved. But our guys right. aren't going to do any risky things. And we don't even know for my money if risky behavior was even the cause of any of this. And if right. there was risky behavior, we don't know if it was like people not wearing masks or distancing in the clubhouse or the dugout or if it was risky behavior away from the ballpark, like bars and nightclubs. MLB would certainly like it to be the case uh, that it was risky behavior because that sparked and, and led to these big outbreaks because that's something that can be fixed, right? If it's yeah. a flaw in the protocols, like insufficiently frequent testing, or the protocols just can't stand up to the amount of virus in the community right now, um, that's that's a much bigger problem for both Major League Baseball and the NFL. Zach and I talked for almost a half hour, and he made a lot of smart points, but I'm going to summarize some of them here quickly instead of dropping a bunch of sound bites for you. Uh, one, he does not see any reason to believe the NFL players will follow protocols more closely than baseball. And further, he doesn't see proof that baseball's problems have been tied to player behavior rather than protocol. To back his point, reporting by Derek Gould in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch showed that the Cardinals outbreak did not come from a casino, as some believe, but rather from an asymptomatic carrier who brought the virus in and spread it from there. Benny also downplayed the risk of travel, pointing out that proteins fly charters. They often bypass the terminals that people like you or me might use. And besides, no outbreaks have been traced back to airports. It's a crappy situation that we're all in, obviously. And, uh, you know, the chances of the NFL and Major League Baseball and any other sport aren't helped by the disjointed and often nonsensical response of our country as a whole. You know, in other words, if one of more of these leagues fail, 
I'm not sure it'll be fair to blame athlete behavior or league protocols. It might just be because we as Americans as a group simply made the process too difficult. Anyway, the conversation with Benny ended when I tried to summarize his thoughts on the NFL's chances. I just kind of said what I hear you saying is like, maybe. (laughs) So anyway, here's his response to that. I would say below 50% to like complete the season if they don't change their protocol in any way. Um, especially as we get into October, November, December, and we may get a seasonal worsening and we enter flu season and all that. Um, I think the general expectation is that we expect things to get worse. So yeah. that's that's only going to make it more difficult if there are more cases in the community. And as the season drags on, it makes people get, um, get a little less careful. So, you know, yeah. the, the very last thing that I'll say is that it's easy for me to sit here in my house and say, you should do a bubble. Right? Like, the NFL understands they should, ideally. Dr. Sills understands that, ideally, they would do a bubble. Right? Or home market bubbles. So that's also a, a rough plan. And I'm not the one who has to move away from my family and suffer emotionally and psychologically and socially for five months. Right. So I, I want to acknowledge that this is a really difficult ask and it's not a good solution by any means. But the reality is it may be the only way to do it safely in this country right now, given the sheer amount of virus we have. Yeah. If we're able to bring pro sports back in this country, it's going to be more difficult, more expensive and more dangerous than pretty much anywhere else in the world. That's just the that's just the truth. Because we didn't take care of it. Yeah. Because we didn't take care of it. That's that's what it all traces back to. But but I sympathize with the players and especially the staff who make less money and would have to do the same thing. Right? I mean that's right. that's a really hard ask. So I get why the NFL wants to avoid it. I'm just afraid there may be no good answers. Yeah. Yeah. Like everything else. <laughs> right. Like everything else. Well, Heck, you guys, uh, I wish we'd been able to end on a more positive note, right? Uh, But, you know, I guess this is the world we live in. Uh, I don't know about you. I will self-medicate tonight with some takeout sushi in a tank seven. Big thanks to Randy Mason and Eric Nelson for putting the show together this week. And huge thanks to you for listening. As always, I appreciate your help and I hope that we are worth your time. Have a great weekend. Please stay safe and be kind. Looking forward to talking with you again next week.